Hello and welcome to Adventures in Sustainability. My name is Frederik Paczkowski and together with Claude Garcia we'll be your hosts as we have a conversation with our friend Yu Chen. Enjoy! So thank you very much for being part of the podcast, Yu Chen. Um, um, we're very excited to have you. Uh, uh, we, a lot of our guests have uh, multiple experiences in being people from different cultures and different backgrounds, living in different spaces and in cultures that probably were not theirs, uh, like their original ones, and then somehow they got integrated into those. So those are very interesting things that we find from you and also obviously your very detailed experience and and hands-on experience in sustainability resilience and and topics alike so if you'd like to introduce yourself please to our audience let us know a little bit about yourself and then we'll take it on from there okay thank you so much for having me and for this invitation and i look forward very much to our conversation today and so uh I'm Yu Chen, and I got my PhD in sociology from the University of Texas at Austin. And uh, I'm a sociologist by training. I'm originally from China, and um, I'm currently working as a postdoc research associate at the Center for Global Engineering at the University of Toronto. So I'm coordinating this research initiative titled Sustainable Peri-Urbanization, primarily focused on uh, Mexico City and its uh, peri-urban communities. Um, so for my dissertation project, I uh, did a comparative study on the so-called social housing policies in China and in Mexico. So um, I spent uh, about two years doing field work in a social housing project in, uh, in the periphery of Guadalajara, uh, Jalisco. So uh, just to know like how people got access to uh, housing finance, like what's their experience of living in those um, social housing uh, projects and also like to make a comparison with my home country. So um, that's where I first got in touch with a lot of the topics related to sustainable and resilience, um, for example, water and, and um, the risks associated with uh, flooding and all those kind of things. Um, so that's roughly my background. So currently our focus is to implement, um, uh, sustainability, like engineering um, projects in the communities, in peri-urban areas of Mexico city in collaboration with, uh, social organizations, social enterprises. And we really want these projects to be participatory so that they can have, um, like long-term impacts in the community and also, um, to promote this kind of exchange of the so-called professional scientific knowledge and the mm -hmm. local knowledge. So um, still a lot of things to learn. And um, yeah, so that's basically what I'm doing right now. That's sort of the little things you've done here. And there. <laughs> <laughs> so just uh, for people who don't know uh, about Mexico, uh, um, Guadalajara, I don't know if you can tell us a little bit about that city because it's very important mm -hmm. even for the Mexican culture and even the identity of the Mexican is very much related to that mm -hmm. state. So I don't know if you can tell us a little bit about that city. Um, it's either the second or the third largest and how big it is, mm -hmm. things like that. Sure. Um, so it's uh, it's one of the largest metropolitan areas of Mexico's uh, of Mexico, uh, following Mexico City. 
And so uh, it's uh, also a regional center, uh, political, economic, and, and uh, cultural center in the Western region of Mexico. So uh, it's the capital city of, uh, of um, Jalisco. And so it has a, the metropolitan area has a population of uh, like about 5 million. So it's, uh, it's uh, the metropolitan area is formed by uh, nine municipalities currently. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm, I really liked the city. Um, I really enjoyed its uh, like food and it, all like the, the, the cultural um, sites. And also um, because I lived in uh, one of the, the so-called social housing um, projects in mm-hmm. the periphery of Guadalajara. So that's also where you can get in touch with with the like the traditional cultures and the, the ranch cultures and everything. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's really a region of diversity as well. And um, yeah. Yeah. Actually, now I wanted to, to, to mention something because one of the things that when we first met, we really, you and I especially talked about how we <laughs> fell in love with Mexico, no? How, how this yeah. culture just sucks you in and embraces you and there's so many different parts of it that are very exciting no and every time we met here in mexico city you were very excited Mm so i Mm -hmm. I would like to hear a little bit about your relationship with mexico and what what was it about it that kind of attracted you and gave you that that uh feeling that that connection you know and maybe we can later explore how it it relates to your work and and sustainability and uh, and and if that informed a little bit of your vision on these complex topics yeah, sure. Um, so I'm from a country that is very far away from Mexico. So <laughs> I would say like 14 or 15 hours of flight. Um, so the first time I went to Mexico was uh, in 2009 uh, in the winter. That was my first semester as a graduate student at the University of Texas at Austin. So uh, I went to Monterrey and that was my first experience of traveling in mm-hmm. Mexico. So I took a bus um, and took me like pretty much like 10 hours. I remember wow. like, crossing the border <laughs> and the border crossing for me at the time was a very like big thing. But then the experience was really like you just across that bridge. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of um, it fascinated me, this experience of like uh, such a limited space but then it's two countries and um, you see people are interconnected but mm-hmm. yet there's a boundary there so um it was a very um i would say complex feeling for me mm-hmm. and so but then i entered uh the phd program and was identifying a research topic for my dissertation and um so I'm from China, and as many of the audience may know, that China is, is going through this rapid um, uh, process of urbanization. And so, a lot of uh, people from uh, the rural area they m- migrate to the city looking for job opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, that's um, creating um, this kind of um, uh, challenges for like providing adequate housing infrastructure and services, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, I always have this kind of uh, motivation to compare China and in Mexico and to see like uh, what we can learn from Mexico, for example, because uh, Mexico went through its rapid urbanization in the 60s and 70s, right? Correct, in the yeah. uh, 
industrialization uh, um, like process. Mm -hmm. So um, the more I was traveling, the more I traveled um, in Mexico, the more I, I found like the two countries actually share a lot of like uh, similarities oh, okay. in terms of not only like this kind of family oriented culture, but also in terms of its trajectory in the 20th century, in terms of, for example, we both have a state-led industrialization, right? Mm -hmm. After the mid-century and um, both countries are um, like heavily investing in a manufacturing sector. Like yeah. we actually have a kind of similar type of uh, uh, position in the global economy in, in, in many aspects. And we also face a lot of challenges, for example, the the uh, inequality and um, and um, like uh, poverty uh, reduction challenges and all these kind of environmental issues for sure. Mm -hmm. And um, interesting, for example, in both countries in the 20th century, we, we both had a revolution that have profound social, political and economic implications. Mm, that's and, true, uh, that's right. Mm -hmm. Even like in the rural area, like in Mexico, you have this, you had used to, you have this kind of um, ejido system. Right, uh, landowners. You know, uh -huh. yeah. and, and in China, um, in the rural area, it's also predominantly it's, it's communal, um, uh, like collective uh, land ownership. So like all these kind of things, like, of course you, you the two countries are very different in many aspects, but mm -hmm. they also share some very interesting similarities. So I think... Um, right, and just for the listeners, sorry, the ejido is a type of communal land ownership that happened after the Mexican Revolution. So from the after 1915, somewhat, uh, this is when uh, a lot of these... Uh, basically, Mexico as a nation was sort of cut up into these big, by hectares, basically, these... Uh, communal spaces where uh, you have your own local sort of, it's called usos and costumbres or like bylaws in a sense. Obviously you, you live within the Mexican constitution, but a lot of things that happen in, inside those territories are dictated by the, by the members living in that space. Mm -hmm. And I think also the fact that the ownership is only in a couple of hands also, mm -hmm. I think um really accelerated the migration from rural spaces into urban areas and so for mm. people also the listeners out there mexico's population already 80 percent of it it's urban so a mm. small percentage of people that do own the titles to these uh communal land lots are the ones that remain in urban in rural areas and a little bit more yeah but um yeah there's as you said i thought it was really interesting how there were very specific historic moments sociopolitical mm. moments that have really exactly. driven the growth it hasn't been as organic let's say like you know very disruptive type of activities or or phenomena so that's really cool yeah <laughs> and actually you know just as you were saying that i think it's also interesting to point out it's not really ownership of these areas it's the rights mm. to the rights the rights to yeah. to the area i think to say that mm. somebody owns these lands, it's it's a little bit misleading. Yeah, it's, it's more about yeah. the 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 right to 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 be there and to have activities. And what's interesting is that there is a fixed number of these um, titles. titles that are out there, and with a population mm. growing, and you know, the and the number of titles not growing, people are like you said pushed out of these areas because they may have have difficult times of establishing any kind of business or or mm -hmm. a other type of activity there. 
So I think that's also very unique because and I'm not sure how it works in China, but like these collective farms from the you know kind of the Soviet system, right? They were it was common, but people still kind of owned houses around them that are private, right? Mm-hmm. It was the land that was shared, not the whole whole area. So it's, yeah, and it's, it's a little bit like that in the Hidos, right? Like yeah. they'll have like the core of the country, mm-hmm. like the town. They'll have like small privatized areas and then the the yeah. huge part of it is going to be communal yeah no but it, yeah i, I th- it, you know i never really thought about it but it is uh the reason that we we have this kind of artificial push towards the the cities no? yeah. so we don't want to take over your 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 talk sorry yeah <laughs> no, I, well, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah it, it, it really like resonates uh with my my like this kind of trajectory of studying like uh, the, the, the housing and urbanization topics in Mexico and in China. And of course, like Ejido um, land and the collective owner, communal ownership and all this kind of things play an important role in terms of like the expansion of urban space and, and things like that. So uh, yeah, so basically I... Um, so I you're coming like, from Monterrey. So that's where we were. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's uh, it's it was a very interesting uh, trip. I remember it was 2009, like the bus trip, and also like uh, seeing uh, this big city of um, industries and also um, like a lot of like local culture, and that's definitely something that amazed me. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. So how do you think that informed your or what's your philosophy or your um your definition of sustainability do you think based on these experiences and sort of what you experienced because you lived it I mean you're in like hands-on type of researcher right like uh, you weren't just like studying the area and like uh, reading lots of papers around it or writing to a lot about it but I mean you you did but also you were fully like it was full immersion in that sense Mm. Yeah, I uh, the reason why like I lived in uh, that community in the social housing project is because um, like as a foreigner, like I knew very little about social housing, uh, like the the system, like the policy, and um, what these um, projects really looked like, and what's the experience of living there. Like I had practically no um, like like knowledge about mm-hmm. it so that's why like i lived there like you live live there like you make friends and you participate in a lot of the things that's going on in in a community like community meetings and um i just want to say like i really appreciate um the people like my neighbors and friends there like who really like very patiently explain things to me mm-hmm. and and showing me around and um sharing with me their experience and their thoughts their their insights like it definitely helped me to mm. understand better like this kind of and, and um i'm also like so from my side i'm lo- looking at a lot of the things from a comparative uh, perspective like from like i see a lot of the common challenges um that's also going on in a similar kind of housing projects in my own country in my mm-hmm. home and um so that kind of uh, reminded me of um, the importance of having like this kind of global perspective um, of the sustainability uh, challenges. It's not just a local issue. It's actually, you see a lot of similar socioeconomic and political processes mm-hmm. uh, at play 
and definitely like people from different regions and areas disciplines like backgrounds they should come together and discuss like what are the best practices mm -hmm. what are the challenges and what they think are the factors um underlying factors behind those uh, challenges mm -hmm. right so that's that's the first thing the second thing i think is uh the complexity of sustainability challenges because um like at first a glance it might be oh that's the problem of water supply or it's a problem of uh like infrastructure or um like uh, flooding and all those kind of things but actually it tells you something about the the model of uh, urbanization which mm -hmm. is highly profit centric right it's, mm -hmm. it's correct about yeah. profit maximization it's about um and also it tells you something about a state societal relationship right if this if the it's if the government if the government agency or the public sector is only interested in promoting speculation is promoting uh the market relationships without really considering the the well-being of the people who live there and then it's going to be very difficult um to to make change so it seems to be like all these technical issues but actually behind those technical issues you see complex uh, socioeconomic uh and the political factors at play and um uh, so this is the second one. The third one, I would say, um, is um, it's really great to promote uh, so-called eco-technology, right, in the, in, the, in the communities, so that um, um, for communities that do not have access to water, for example, um, we can install like rainwater harvesting systems mm -hmm. and other kind of things, initiatives in those communities. That's that's great, but at the same time we also want to have like a perspective of uh, environmental justice social justice in our mind right so it's eco technology but for whom and Correct, yeah. and uh, who should um this is not just for the low income population the marginalized communities but mm -hmm. actually it's about like promoting uh cultural transformation in the entire society so uh, it's not it's it's not fair or it's not just it's, uh, the, the the low income population um, are using these technologies, like eco technologies, while the rich, the affluent sectors are wasting water, using water as if exactly. they were like. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so I think like all these perspectives um, really help me to um, to understand better the issue, the concept, and at the same time ask questions. Right, mm -hmm. uh, not only technical questions, but all of those questions regarding the social construct of eco-technology, the politics of technology, like right, yeah. all those kind of things. So I think that's um, what uh, my fieldwork experience really um, teaches me. Well, oh, that's a lot to wow. unpack. <laughs> and then you put it so succinctly, right? Like, because we've been working on these areas and, and you know, I started off as an engineer. So like mm -hmm. it took me like I don't know like fifteen years to be able to uh, say it and uh, to sort of process it the way you've been processing it. So yeah. I think that's really great um, and insightful. Yeah, I mean, thank you. You know, like, like, yeah, I mean, it's wonderfully said and like, explained. One thing that like I would like to maybe start diving into is some of the ch challenges of sustainability and i like this mm. comparison right of, mm. of china and mexico right because i think looking at it you know what lessons can be transferred and 
essentially what we're, from my point of view, we're, we're this talking about this comparative study is we're looking mm-hmm. for um, lessons to be learned and also scalability and tra- knowledge transfer, right? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of work and sustainability has to be focused on that, right? So, mm-hmm. so maybe, I'm not sure if we can talk about many challenges, but maybe mm-hmm. we can focus on one challenge, what it is mm-hmm. that's similar in both countries, mm-hmm. what are the solutions, and mm-hmm. how could we maybe start looking at transferring or how we could, t- if we we're talking about technology. I mean, I don't want to guide the, your, your, the conversation mm-hmm. too much, but if we're talking about technology, how do we deal with like the social acceptance of the technology and who is it mm-hmm. for, who pays for mm-hmm. it, and you know, the things that you mentioned towards the end. So, yeah, I'd like to f- start with the challenges that are similar or that you think are important to to focus on. Yeah, I definitely there are like a lot of uh, common challenges uh, for the two countries, for example, uh, in terms of access to clean water, right? In terms of, for example, Mexico City and Beijing, like both of them face uh, these challenges of like water sustainability, right? Mm-hmm. Because both cities are located, um, are, are, are mega cities of like, uh, 20 million over 20 million population and uh like economic center of the country and all those kind of things a lot of like industrial activities so um definitely there there are common challenges regarding like for example water and regarding like access to electricity and energy um those kind of things china has a large extension of rural areas uh and uh it's very challenging um to to uh, extend access to electricity and energy um, in those remote uh, communities, uh, particularly due to the uh, geographic conditions, right? Mm-hmm. So like all these are challenges and definitely echo technology, for example, can play an, an important role in um, like expanding access to these uh, things that are critical for human and social development. Um, for me, like a shared challenge would be um, how to achieve this kind of long-term uh, community engagement, right? It's um, one of the challenges for eco-technology initiatives is the um, connection between the technology and uh, the the users or the community, mm-hmm. right? As, as um, Fred has mentioned, uh, the the social acceptance or social adaptation of these technologies or how community can appropriate these technologies mm-hmm. and use it for local development, right? right. To achieve uh, energy self-sufficiency or to achieve um, uh, local uh, employment creation, like all these kind of things. Um, this is definitely a challenge faced by uh, China and Mexico and of course, many other countries in the world. And of course, given the different contexts of um, of the two countries, right, in terms of the culture of participation, in terms of the state societal relationship, right, there, there, there are different ways to pursue that long-term community engagement. And in Mexico, we definitely see a vibrant um, um, civil society or social organizations, NGOs, social enterprises are working on these mm-hmm. issues. And yeah. This is definitely something that um, um, like amazes me, and also at the same time, like mode, uh, it's a great inspiration for me, like to to see like how social enterprises and NGOs like they um, 
come to work on this issue of the connection, creating and expanding this kind of connection between technology and, and the community, and also to uh, help or to facilitate the kind of community appropriation of technology. So this is definitely something I would like to see. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, um, like uh, I'm also so. I'm also interested in looking at uh, the the role that the government agencies and the public sector can play in this um, process because we cannot say like let's um, just throw everything to the NGO like the NGO will take care of everything and the government just withdraw and retreat that's the typical kind of neoliberal mentality mm -hmm. um, about um, social provision governments definitely can play a lot of role i mean uh like an important role in eco technology initiatives in local communities mm -hmm. because uh, government has resources government has uh, connections with different stakeholders and the government is supposed to act like beyond this short-term uh, consideration of profit maximization and the government can do a lot of things for the, the public good but then the challenge is really uh, to reorganize this process of the delivery of eco technology to 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 make sure to prioritize this kind of long-term uh, involvement mm -hmm. of different uh, stakeholders um sorry just case, a, a small definition eco technologies tend to be technologies that are um they are powered by the local ecosystem so like um you would have things like rainwater harvesting and they're powered by the local rain or if you have yeah. compost um a compost it'll be powered by the local um either ecosystem biodiversity and temperature and moisture uh you can also have wetlands or biofilters that if you get some water then the mm -hmm. the environmental conditions are the ones that uh power your your treatment for example so and they tend to be decentralized or also called distributed systems and that's why uh, the mention of these systems being able to provide services and goods in in places that are hard to that for whatever reason they can't be connected to the centralized systems that easily right so even in within mexico city that's highly centralized there's some areas that are very inaccessible um, for mm -hmm. multiple reasons. And that's just a small parenthesis that I wanted to make. Um, yeah, definitely. That, that's very important. Uh, like definition of, of eco technology and all, all these important features uh, of eco technology, right? In terms of it's like uh, decentralized way of uh, instead of like imposing on the community, like you take into consideration the subjectivity and creativity of local um, population and also um, at the same time, uh, like it's not standardized, like mass, massive, like industrial production, but you actually actively mobilize like locally re available resources and mm -hmm. those kind of things. So it's supposed to, to, um, to trigger, uh, local economy and, uh, local employment creation, all those kind of things. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm really loving all your words, like the local creativity. I think that's so amazing because, you know, as an engineer, you're like, oh, the local resources and the, you know, it's like, what's there? And you're like, oh, the local creativity. I'm like, yeah, that, that, that is instrumental in any co-technology, right? Because, uh, obviously when you start putting, uh, like I call them that they're pets, right? Like once you put a rainwater yeah. harvesting system there, uh, once you start fixing it, like it might be a standard solution 
somewhat, but mm-hmm. you know how you start approaching it and appropriating it, it becomes a local creativity, um, yeah. you know, process. So that's I, I really I'm I'm liking all your words. That's all <laughs> I wanted to say. <laughs> I'm honored, and actually, I I feel like it's. Uh, it's not only like installing uh, the rainwater harvesting like device. It's actually an entire process, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that the community participates in, uh, like the diagnos- diagnosis of the problem and also the demand of water use and all those kind of things, mm-hmm. and uh, identifying the opportunities for installing those um, devices. And also, like when you install the devices, you need to take into consideration the the different conditions of each uh, dwelling and and uh, household and uh, like people use different kind of materials for their roofs mm-hmm. and their patios or yards are like organized in different ways mm-hmm. and then you also um, like would like to hear people's opinion of like how they want to install the system, how they want to use the system, and do they have any suggestions regarding uh, we can use the rainwater harvesting for other purposes, like the productive purposes or in education, right? Uh, like areas and all those kind of things. Like it's 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 a universe, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than yeah. like go to install the, the device and then the the field team just <laughs> go away. <No>. And, <laughs> yeah. and um, so I. Um, like it occurs to me, like one uh, example, I had this conversation with um, like a social enterprise called uh, Cooperativa Onergia, who is specialized mm-hmm. in uh, solar technologies and energy justice, like all these agendas in mm-hmm. um, the North uh, Sierra um, region in the state of Puebla. Mm-hmm. So, like we work with uh, the the community and the households, and because the how like. The household really actively like participate in the designing process as well because they have to like in in Spanish the word is convivir con la tecnología mm-hmm. right to live better with the, the technology so technology should become part of the daily life right of the users yeah. mm-hmm. and and so we we. For example, we spend so much time like talking about like all these detailed like processes and everything. So that's not easily um, carried out. It's not like the the government agency or some NGO like visit the community once and then uh, install the device and then leave and then the people stay with the technology probably like like some weeks or months after uh, the installation the the device is broken or has a technical technical issue and then they have yeah. no one to ask for technical support and then the project is just like abandoned so right, yeah. it's kind of contrasted there so and and so who uh so this actually should be like one of the priorities when we think about uh eco technology initiatives is right, yeah. the engagement and that's the potential of a lot of the uh, stakeholders and actors they can contribute mm-hmm. actually you know listening to to yours uh, to what you were saying and i'm not sure if you remember from when you visited blue drinks but we talked a lot about mm-hmm. ecopreneurship right mm-hmm. and for us the dream or the dream the vision the the idea is oh, that what we are proposing what we're proposing is that ecopreneurship mm-hmm. is that gap you know between the government mm-hmm public sector, private sector, and NGOs, right? 
that that focuses on the technology but with a clear value proposition and with an intent to make money but then they also dedicate the time to not only install the technology but to support it right because i mean um you know i've i've had a chance to work with ngos here in mexico and i think you know one thing that is especially for for somebody that's coming from a business background or any kind of working background is that you're shocked that how much money is invested into the technology, into the project. And then once the end date comes, that project (laughs) is never looked at again. You know, there's very, I mean, I I haven't seen any significant attempts to, for follow-up, continuous improvement, Mm -hmm. maintenance. You know, you you go to these eco-technology museums, you go into some, (laughs) some villages and it's like, okay, there is like five different dry toilets, right? Well, yeah. this one was installed by an NGO in the 60s, this one in the 70s, this one in the yeah. 80s, this one in the 90s. And then you have these collections of eco-technologies that do everything from, you know, like I said, from toilets to different types of greenhouses, composting systems, rainwater capture. And, and mm. people that live on this land are surrounded by all this junk that came from halfway around the world sometimes. You know, and mm-hmm. oh, yeah, because they all bring them from Africa or, or like, or like from, Germany. Um, from Switzerland. Yeah. 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 So yeah it breaks. Good luck getting those spare parts. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, for, for me, that's the tragedy, right? Is that there is a need. People do want to try new technologies. Mm-hmm. There are people mm-hmm. that are willing to install them. But the mm-hmm. financial models that allow mm-hmm. all this to happen are so inefficient, are so... Yeah. Well, inefficient for the follow-up, no? Or, like, the vision is just, let's just implement it there, and then God knows how, yeah. what they're going to, like... Well, que I, se hagan bolas, no? Like no, that's no, but, the, but that's you know, even, even beyond, like, for this, this idea of, you know, social corporate responsibility, right? Companies say, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to dedicate $10 million to solving sanitation in Mexico. Boom. Mm-hmm. Okay? That $10 million runs out, and what's that? And because NGOs mm-hmm. are not allowed to invest the money they're not allowed to make money off of their services that money is essentially cut off and that's the end of the project because the the next time they encounter money it's going to come with other strings attached it's not going to be a company that wants to continue somebody else's project it's going to be a company no we want something new right Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. so essentially you know you know this vision of ecopreneurship is to like somehow break that you know still attract the money so provide yeah. the service, but let's not kid ourselves. Like somebody has to make money somewhere along the way. And yeah. making that money allows for continuous improvement, developing a technology, and you know, bringing it to the 21st century. Because like, let's look at dry toilets, right? It's a, it's a technology that works. It's very efficient. You know, it has so many benefits. But at the end of the day, it's a technology that's, you know, people from the Middle Ages would recognize, right? So Mm -hmm. how do we bring that, A, into the 21st century and into the different contexts contexts Mm -hmm. of humanity? And, you know, Mm -hmm. like you mentioned earlier at at the beginning of of our talk is that you have these countries that are urbanizing at a rate that's, you know, unbelievable, right? So how do we also urbanize the technology Mm -hmm. that could help us relieve many of these problems, right? Yeah, definitely. It's yeah. 
Yeah, and I and, and I was wondering if you have uh, an insight from you know from your background, uh, multicultural background, and your you know your training in various fields. Because uh, some of the things he didn't mention is that he also did a degree in Latin American literature. I remember, mm-hmm. and so I think you have a good handle on maybe a little bit of our psyche, right? Because. For example, it's really interesting for us to understand that, let's say, Mexican women have expressed in some of the studies that we've done that it's really hard for them to identify hygiene without water, mm. right? So mm. like a dry toilet, it's like it's a little bit of a conundrum for them. Like it's a, it, 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 it breaks the idea that, you know, cleanliness and sanitation uh, has to include water in it. Like Mexicans will actually use water, bleach, and vinegar, and like all these layers of like liquids, mm-hmm. so that it yeah. like they can't imagine a sanitation or a cleanliness process that does not include water, right? So I think, uh, and right now we were thinking, well, one way in that you can incorporate these technologies or um, or perpetuate them, or you know maybe assure its long-lasting um, adoption, is by the creation mm. of wealth. Right. If we can understand that you can create an economy around these uh, eco technologies, then you can you can do this. I was wondering mm. if if you have some other insight or what do you? Um, obviously, it it'd be good to hear your thoughts about ecopreneurship and maybe some of the, its limitations or some other process that could be used. Mm. I don't know within this creativity or you know this this culture around certain resources and your insights around those items for the the adoption, long-term adoption of these new ways of thinking. Yeah, it's, um, uh, I think definitely uh, entrepreneurship is like critical in the, not only the promotion of technology, but also make sure that it has a real world impact in terms of uh, improving the well-being of the community and the local, uh, like trigger kind of local social development. Uh, I also like i'm also aware of like seeing the tremendous work that many like social enterprises have done like i feel it's it's a very complex process right for for the technology to be to become part of the the community to be really like genuinely like appropriated by the local people um it's like the participation of ngo or social enterprises is not like automatically translated into the positive outcome of the mm-hmm. initiative, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of work that should be be done, and also a lot of the critical like, reflection, right? From um, like among all the participants of the process. For example, it's not like uh, go to the community and teach um, women like how to uh, like view. You should have this kind of view of hygiene and all this, this kind of things, like imposing this kind of view is not part of uh, eco technology and actually it, it would harm the tech- mm-hmm. eco technology right, yeah. initiative i would say like uh, in this case for example um other processes and and this kind of um like participatory like diagnosis or like people coming together and discuss their hygiene issues and a focus group or you create this kind of condition for that kind of discussion to happen i think it's would be like a better way to start right mm-hmm. so um like 
we also have like a lot of experiences when uh, like NGOs impose like uh, agenda from like external actors to the community, right? Without really like listening to uh, the opinion or the insights or the needs of the community, right? That would ruin the Echo Technology Initiative as well. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I think so far what we have discussed is that NGOs and social enterprises definitely they can play um, a potentially enormous role in the whole process, but then there is a lot of work to do, right, regarding uh, this kind of critical reflection on the gender dimension, on the e equality or uh, economic dimension, everything. And that's probably why um, it is important to have this kind of interdisciplinary collaboration, right? Economists work on social economy, for example, anthropologists and um, and um, like sociologists and, and engineers, like all come together and to to look at the problem the, or the issues, the challenges from different perspectives. And also to make sure that this kind of equal kind of participation or conversation really take place between the community and the so-called experts, right? Without mm -hmm. this kind of equal exchange of different knowledge systems like i i think it's going to be very challenging mm -hmm. very difficult for eco technology mm -hmm. to have any real world uh, impact mm -hmm. and uh uh and also for example we would like to be sensitive to uh the impacts of those initiatives right how it uh, how it influences or affects the gender demand the gender dynamics in the communities right with, with uh, for example, a uh, an initiative of solar um, oven, for example, solar cooker, for example, mm -hmm. and how that will impact the the cooking behavior and the division of labor in in the household, all right. those kind of things. It's uh, these are not like uh, like insignificant like. Uh, like side <laughs> outcome of the initiative, but they are an integrate integral part of the 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 initiative, and we also need to like uh, be aware of those those dimensions. And that's right. uh, my reflection on the issue. And um, I definitely agree that there's this kind of challenge of community engagement and long-term and how the community can appropriate the technology. Like this is a challenge for uh, like many countries in the world. And um, in China, uh, where I'm from, I think the government is definitely very involved in uh, poverty um, reduction uh, efforts. And for example, like give you an example, um, the in terms of um, connecting the household to electric system and all those kind of things, right? It's you have two approaches. One is a centralized through the uh, extension of conventional grid systems, and the other one is the uh, off-grid systems, like decentralized approach. And in China, you're going to see like a lot of like centralized uh, because the government this because of the government um, efforts and resources that the government has and the commitment to do this kind of um, uh, the, the initiatives to deliver a lot of the services to remote communities, which is positive. But at the same time, it's going to be the same challenge, which, which is uh, the long-term uh, commitment mm -hmm. of the government in terms of maintenance, in terms of, and if, 
if that is consistent with the political reality of the country, but then would it be would it be a good idea to complement that with uh, community based initiatives, right? Mm-hmm. To to um, facilitate the participation of the local communities regarding the um, like the designing process regarding the how to use the technology in their productive uh, activities, like all these uh, things that we can learn from Mexico, right? So um, that's uh, it's it's not like we are transplanting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, into other countries that's never going to work but uh, there are definitely common challenges and definitely good practices that we should learn from each other and is there something that an experience that you had and it doesn't matter if it was in mexico or in china or anywhere where you actually saw a success story that a technology was successfully introduced accepted integrated and then supported Mm. um and in any community and it doesn't really matter about the size either i mean i'm, mm. I'm just wondering if there was any such uh experience that you could talk about Are the uh, yeah these com- community based managed um like new technologies or in, in technological uh, innovations i mean for for me i'm i'm particularly interested in hearing a story where eco technology was proposed by somebody as being a potential solution and then mm-hmm. when it was introduced to the community accepted supported integrated and continues to work that, that's mm-hmm. really what i want to see if if you can mention something like that or, or if you if, even if at all if you had that experience or not yeah uh, like i for example i i spent a couple of uh, months like doing interviews with uh, social enterprises or NGOs working on um, solar technology. And um, one successful story is the one that I just mentioned in the North Sierra uh, region of Puebla. Um, mm-hmm. So the uh, social enterprise, uh, Cooperativa Onergia, works um, like working with the community, uh, like s- sit down together with the community and come up with this kind of uh, diagnosis of the uh, energy demand um, of the uh, the community and um, installing like solar panels and all those kind of things. And so what really uh, I was interested when I was doing this kind of uh, interview with them is uh, try to look at like how they achieve this kind of long-term commitment with the community, right? And mm-hmm. uh, I found like one um, very very good uh, approach is through this kind of creating a local network of, of uh, support through the training programs, right? Mm-hmm. And, and um, like, because often a time, like these communities are very um, sparsely distributed, like in the mountain areas, and it's very difficult for the organization to, uh, to reach. And it's like, several hours of car trip and then walking like another several hours to get to the community and and from home to home is one hour walk and things like that so um it's very important to have like a permanent kind of uh presence of Mm -hmm. of the because when whenever the users have problems with their uh like device they need technical support and 
if you don't have that kind of local support networks, it's going to be very difficult. But it's mm -hmm. also at the same time very costly to have those kind of uh, local technical support if you only rely on your own field team, right? Mm -hmm. So it's great to have to develop this kind of local uh, networks through community training programs. And then uh, in these kind of training programs, it's not just like imposing the professional knowledge to the community, but actually it's kind of a vocational program that's spe that's specifically designed uh, according to uh, the local kind of uh, cultural identity, right? It's it's not a kind of um, examining examination based type of uh, training program, but it's. More of like a vocational type of using the the, the language um, that uh, both sides um, agree with and this kind of things. So, um, and in this kind of community um, training programs, uh, the organization also pays a lot of attention in terms of the uh, social agenda, right? To mm -hmm. discuss all these idea of um, energy justice, energy sovereignty. Uh, popular energy, right? Energia popular, all these mm -hmm. concepts, right? And also the idea of local economy, like social economy, circular economy. So um, I heard that after this training program, some other like uh, cooperatives were established in, in the local community, providing some of the supply parts and those kind of things. So you see like this process of making uh, this initiative more like uh, sustainable in mm -hmm. both and and it also became a venue for this kind of critical reflection on the so-called energy transition towards uh, renewable energy right? right because when we talk about uh, in this kind of debates or discussion on um the energy transition i think there's a missing dimension here which is um the relationship between renewable energy and marginalized communities or um, like how the communities mm. that do not have access to electricity, how like how they can um, like get rid of the energy poverty uh, through these uh, community-based initiatives. I think that dimension is missed in this uh, discussion of um, mm -hmm. energy transition. So that's definitely my uh, my one of the experiences or that that, that I. Um, that I got to know, which uh, I was very, I feel like very inspired by it. But mm -hmm. um, at the same time, like I'm also like reflecting on these, uh, like despite like all these successes and it's great. And it shows us like the, the agency of the community and also the agency of the social enterprises in promoting all this. But at the same time, I also heard, for example, in other communities, uh, uh, like eco technology cannot solve everything right it's not yeah a, that's very important, yeah. To, very, very important. Yeah. <laughs> the solution to every all the problems right on the contrary sometimes you heard like uh, because of the violence because of organized crime or like uh these kind of things um eco technology probably won't be implemented or it's kind of uh like people abandon their their community altogether, right? Not mm -hmm. to mention right. the technology they have. Yeah. Um, so, so I feel that, like, this is another dimension that needs to reflect on, which is um, how can we use eco technology to 
to make positive changes, um, but at the same time think about like how this uh, technology is also embedded in the in the local context, and also uh, it will encounter a lot of constraints right, sure. regarding. So eco technology alone is not enough. Mm-hmm. It's right, a yeah. whole set of actions, right, and yeah. so. That's complex, but that's also um, exciting, I feel. No, and very well said and explained, I think. And that led me to actually another question is, do you feel that eco-technology is a stopgap measure that we kind of implement while a community develops or catches up or, you know, and then we bring everybody on a central system? Or is it actually a solution? Because, you know, we we pointed out it cannot solve all the problems all the time in every context, right? So. In some communities, is it just a stopgap measure while they, you know, to stabilize a certain situation and then other solutions can be implemented? Or is eco-technology actually a viable solution to solve, let's say, certain problems in a, in a community, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that is because a lot of the my experience has been that eco-technology is like, okay, somebody is marginalized. And this technology just gives them a bit of an advantage, takes them out of that extreme marginalization to maybe something a little bit more manageable, right? Mm. So I Mm. I just want to hear your point of view on eco-technology. Like, what role does it have? You know, is it a permanent or kind of intermediate solution? Or what do you think could be the vision? Yeah, or what the vision is. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I I think that's a very, very good question for us to to think. I do feel like, of course, it's um, like marginalized communities, for example, communities that do not have access to water. Um, definitely, like uh, initiatives like rainwater harvesting will help the community to get access to water. And that's what a lot of uh, NGOs and social enterprises are promoting, which is great. Um, but I, I don't think that the the role of eco technology or the mission of technology eco technology is only to give a temporary access to certain social good, but actually um, say, why don't we promote like a lot of these technologies to the wider society as what Floyd just mentioned like the urban and and the urbanization of the technology right like promote it to we're not promoting the the device per se but we are promoting a transformation of the culture, which is a better and more efficient use of natural resources, water, mm-hmm. and do not treat, for example, electricity as um, a merchandise, but treat it as something that enables uh, individuals and communities and families to to grow and to develop and to prosper, right? So it's all about this kind of transformation of ideas and the mentalities, which I think is really, really the value of eco technology. And, um, I think we probably shouldn't, uh, underestimate the potential of the local communities, um, regarding their creativity, for example, um, there, there might be something that in the local context, um, that, Originally, like are only only to give the the community the access to certain social good, but later, like something like really useful, creative can come up, right? After throughout this kind of um, uh, the entire participation process and the community appropriation of technology, mm-hmm. and um, 
and then uh, for example as you said like people from different contexts from different societies and countries like it it would be great like for us to come together and discuss and share all these challenges and experiences so that a lot of the things that locally learned can travel to other contexts and i think that's going to be an amazing thing as well mm-hmm. um, so i see echo technology like beyond like just give urgent uh, access to goods to mm-hmm. the community but it's actually something that um that calls for a more uh, radical transformation to um, culture to ideas and to mentality fantastic yeah i really like the the what you were saying and i wanted just to recover um um some of the things that you were saying also earlier on with this experience that you have with the i forget the company that you were saying the social enterprise that you were saying that el solar the the from the sierra norte what was in their names again i kept on right so i thought it was really interesting that they do procure that reflection of of mm. of you know maybe energy justice or um energia popular these things because sometimes um sometimes i don't understand like, when they invite me as an engineer it's almost like the problem was already true like you know masticado was already digested and this is the problem we need water or mm-hmm. um Um, or for example, estufas pazzari or the stoves that are either solar or the stoves that are um, wood-based, right? Like apparently they've been developed to be more efficient. But, you know, myself as a woman, um, I'm pulling out the gender card again. Uh, <laughs> myself as a woman, I'm uh, like my questions start being bigger than that, right? Uh, like, so mm. what are we really trying to address, right? Because we mm. know even though Mexican poor or marginalized communities, um, they are considered poor. They will, they do not earn as much money as people living in, in cities, let's say, or urban populations. The, for most people, uh, Mexico is a very wealthy nation in both resources and ecosystems and biodiversity. And most places you'll go to there is wealth obviously not in terms of the pure financial um, economic wealth but there is a lot of well-being that can be harnessed let's say right and so Mm -hmm. what we know is that um, a lot of the money is being you know is it is driven by males right it's very patriarchal Mm -hmm. in the way it's divided Mm -hmm. even the um, domestic economy is also very much set what's going to be um, you know spent on or what is not going to be spent up by the men right and so I feel sometimes that like the especially the cooking and a lot of the the household labors that are given to women they're really in the dark ages still because you know while the man has like this you know the truck and has the pigs and the and the horses women tend not to have a lot of investment in their tools right mm-hmm. and so for me i always find it very interesting that even in very very remote areas they will have like their tv you know a big you know their huge stereo systems their big trucks and for all of these they do have you know energy dense solutions one way or another like they'll they will haul the gasoline from you know very far away and then they will have it stored right they will have batteries for their big sound systems however you know stoves which are very efficient 
right? Stoves are much more efficient than your 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 than your uh, wood cooking or your solar cooking because there are low density type of solutions. Um, all of these processes take a long time because they're low low energy density type of scenarios. And you know, in all of these solutions, the stove with gas doesn't seem to be uh, approached, right? So sometimes for me, it's like, okay, I can be as an engineer, I can be you know spending all my years trying to make wood stoves very efficient. But some what the bigger question is, why are women only allowed to have low density energy solutions, right? Mm-hmm. While men don't, right? And sometimes yeah. it's like the question is bigger, like for water, let's say. Mm-hmm. You know, people from Mexico City are always worried about water. Mm-hmm. They're worried. They, they're like concerned about it. They're obsessed with it. Yet um, they consume water like crazy. I mean, Mexico City has the highest per capita, one of the highest per capita water consumptions in the world. Right. I mean, in, mm-hmm. in average, a Mexican citizen in, for Mexico City, it's consuming 250 liters per capita right, mm-hmm. per day. That's a lot mm-hmm. of water. I mean, you know, it should be at about 100 right (laughs) especially for our type of economy so sometimes it's like okay why am i going to provide more water Mm -hmm. to a system that highly ineffective right it's also about talking about how we are using resources and what is our relationship with that type of resource and does it make sense to provide more resource to a system that's very inefficient right so i'm not sure if you can tell us a little bit about that it's like what are we really trying to address here or is you know is providing these type of solutions really going to solve the problem because it might just perpetuate the problem right like well what are you complaining about women like now you have a better uh wood stove you can still cook and you're like no the question is like why does she have first why does she why is she the only one cooking and two why is she only being allowed to source low density (laughs) uh fuels right so I don't know what what your thoughts are about that since you have more of the the social and cultural part of it. Yeah, this definitely like we all come from our own like academic background. Like we have a discipline like the and all the theories and and knowledge attached to that discipline, right? And uh, that's really why like I, f- I feel like this is one of the beautiful part of the community based eco technology initiatives because it really. Um, reminds us like the wider uh, like societal issues, right? The challenges of inequality, exclusion that still uh, impedes uh, the development of many communities, right? And uh, also I feel like as outsiders, like of the communities, like when we start doing all these kind of community-based initiatives, I feel uh, our role is more of like facilitate and to provide this kind of um, structure <laughs> for a lot of the original ideas to emerge in the community, right? And so this reminds me of another example, which is um, I think it's Candaro Azul, right? This uh-huh. uh, uh, water issues um, in don't remember it uh, should be like Chiapas or. They're a little uh, bit all over area. the place now. Yeah, but they have a stronghold, let's say, in the southern states. And so they, they have this kind of water treatment uh, techniques. And then uh, a group of uh, women from the community, like they gather together and create this kind of social enterprise, uh, which is to provide water to the community, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, 
and in this way, like they, they, the, it's the women who make the decisions and like it's their enterprise. And so you see like a lot of the, the kind of, um, uh, potential there. Right. And, and with like, for example, myself as an outsider and as someone from the academia, like for me, sometimes my vision is kind of limited and, um, I'm not able to like imagine like all these kind of potentials that can take place in a community. And, and it's very important to keep our eyes open when we work with the community, right? It's not like, uh, uh, the professionals who have the scientific knowledge and all the terminologies and all the kind of, uh, fancy softwares that they use and, and, and that's superior than what the community members know, like that's not the case. And it, it's kind of dangerous to bring that kind of vision to, or perspectives to, uh, eco technology initiatives, right. Mm -hmm. Is to, so I, that's, um, I think one of the things that I can learn from these positive experiences or su successful stories, which is um, those NGOs are critical about themselves as well, right? The, the social enterprises, like they like regularly do self-reflection or critical kind of reflection on like their progress, right? The design of their curriculum in those training programs, probably using languages that are kind of um, uh, too um, elitist or too like um, like beyond the local context, right? So they they modify the revision their curriculum, like all this kind of reflection. I feel like they, these are important steps when you do uh, eco technology initiatives, right? Mm -hmm. So definitely, it's not just the technology. It's not uh, like a one-time uh, like interaction with the community, but it's actually a um, wide range of issues. Right? right. Yeah. So it's yeah. Wow. So that's super. Yeah, no. <laughs> I really appreciate like that you're able to condense information that has taken me a very long time to acquire or like to process somehow. Yeah. So let me just ask you another question. Um, in terms of where you see yourself, let's say, um, because obviously you've spent a lot of time really analyzing in a very complex manner. You know, maybe items related to sustainability, or maybe now. Uh, um, currently in your position, sustainable technologies or even sustainable technological development, let's say. Um, mm -hmm. For example, what? how do you see yourself in terms of taking action, right? Because um, sometimes we can stay in analyzing ideas and studying uh, cases and, and doing all this intellectual work. Right. And but, you know, in the end, the sustainability solutions, we need them like yesterday. Right. Like our cities are collapsing. Like Mexico mm. City is like shrinking on <laughs> upon itself because it's just like, you know, well, it's sinking. It's really. sinking. Sorry. It's sinking because it's extracting so much water. You know, things are not. Yeah. So that's just creating all this havoc. And uh, right now, you know, because of the air pollution in Mexico, we have we have higher levels of COVID mortality could be explained by that. Um, your, our water systems are getting polluted every day. Um, all around the world, there's micro pollutants everywhere now. There's microplastics. Um, so, 
either from a pers uh, personal experience and that you are living now more sustainable, let's say, or that you are you're uh, you're seeing all these projects. What are your words and to make all this more actionable? Let's say, uh, how how do we get things? How do we get there? Let's say in terms of you being in the front because in the end, like you are we're like you know crossfire basically right like you're getting yourself there you're making these interviews how do you make that happen either for yourself or or some or projects yeah i i, I definitely feel like the first thing is to inform ourselves about a lot of the issues right it's a lot of times like you are living not sustainable because you don't know like you are socialized into this consumerist culture right and mm -hmm. so I think first of all, it's it's important to 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 read, to read and to write, and and to <laughs> to to do a lot of like the intellectual work and and the reflection on, on yourself. And mm -hmm. definitely, for example, my my personal experience with water in um, in in the social housing project, for example, we had like two or three days water supply every week, and so like that year was really kind of. I was kind of internalized that sense of like worry about water, like the water can be cut at any moment. Mm -hmm. Like that kind of mentality is, uh, is, is in my mind. And so that's really why like, I feel like now when I turn on the water tap, <laughs> I still have, I kind of feel kind of nervous about, mm -hmm. about like, yeah. Yeah. And, You'll never get out of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, but I think that's that's a positive change in terms of behavior, right? You, you you think about reuse water, you think about like all these like positive like behavioral changes. But uh, like to to be able to reflect on that consumerist like culture, like without quite consideration of environment or sustainability or justice, like it's mm -hmm. you really like need to like um, go out your comfort zone do a lot of the readings and mm -hmm. get to know like, all these community initiatives right mm -hmm. how people what different views of water and electricity right this yeah. is for example it's the same thing when we understand like housing right do you understand it as a pure like uh, merchandise or do you consider it as a kind of social well-being and a social right that we are still struggling for mm -hmm. that will guide your behavior i feel mm -hmm. right so uh so that's that's the kind of general kind of stuff that i feel and second i feel like as academics like um the our understanding of uh community-based uh eco technology like the this so great amount of enormous amount of the dialogue we just had <laughs> <laughs> it guys it, it it makes us to to reflect on what makes our work meaningful right it's i think we 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 kind of uh touched that topic uh in quite a few occasions in this conversation um and for example my work now is um because of the pandemic and all the travel restrictions we have so i'm not able to travel to mexico right now mm -hmm. but uh, we're working with uh collaborating with um some uh ngos and and the social enterprises to uh, to discuss like some of the uh, eco technology initiatives, and we're working on the technical side, and NGOs are working. The social enterprises are maybe working on like the evaluation and uh, community visit. Mm -hmm. All the side, there is a division of of work. Yeah, and I think 
to understand that division of work is very important because that position has, like place us in a position that we know what we should do, what kind of role we can play in all these endeavors. It's not mm-hmm. like uh, we know everything and we go to the field and teach people and do everything. Do yeah, everything rather than like we we contribute to that collective cause with our professional knowledge. And I mm-hmm. think that is very important uh, thing to bear in in our mind when we work in this. Um, and actually. Uh, I feel like our students, for example, are working uh, on these eco-technology initiatives um, and we are maintaining like very good communication with the NGOs that we are collaborating with. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, it occurred to me, uh, for example, in the interviews that I, I did with other um, social enterprises in their like successful stories, I think like they, they also have this kind of clear idea of like the division of labor, mm-hmm. but they specialized in technology mm-hmm. and they have like all they have the resources and this kind of willingness to contribute to this cause but at the same time they, they collaborate with local social organizations and the community leaders and activists as well mm-hmm. um, because like those people know better the community right they have the, the rapport the trust of the community mm-hmm. And um, in this way, like uh, the community engagement, right, is 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 uh, is achieved. And so I think that applies to us as well, right? We know we understand our role. We know like the, the division of labor and everything. Um, so uh, that's. And third thing is, um, I feel like we are as as uh, people working in the academia i think we we can serve as the agent to like um promote a lot of the challenges right to to broaden this dialogues and to engage in community like communication with people from other countries from other contexts right so we are this kind of agents like to to um to help to how would you say that to, to do a little bit of outreach i suppose no yeah yeah, as well, and mm-hmm. to promote a lot of the things and mm-hmm. to, to communicate with people, to help, uh, like, the information sharing and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow, that, that requires a lot of self-knowledge, I think, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're not, yeah. none of those are easy tasks, but I like that you built, like, you provided a, a good, like, three, four-step type of approach to it, and I really appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. And I think one a reoccurring theme that we heard through all the interviews that we had is education, right? Mm-hmm. Is education and education and education. I think... Or getting uh, yourself informed of different yourself, sources, not yeah. just the one. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe this is probably a topic for a different interview, but how do you start? You know, like, where do you... Like, you know, if you have this spark of thinking about sustainability and... Oh, it doesn't even have to be sustainability per se, but it has to be like, how do I reduce my impact for example right forget about sustainability the way we talk about it but as an individual right that you want to do you know reduce your impact where do you start you know and yeah. where do you get those ideas where do you go to what's like what's the you know you mentioned read and write you know what's the first thing you read you know what's the <laughs> first thing you write <laughs> or just read so much that like at some point you'll get enough yeah uh, you a, a volume enough volume of information yeah no at, at what time do you start stop analyzing and start acting right and yeah 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 it's it's but yeah like i said i think that's a topic for 
for another another, another uh, interview. Yeah. So uh, you Chen, uh, I'm gonna ask two questions. I think just for to wrap up. Like, thank you so much for your uh, your insightfulness and your conciseness. <laughs> I think that was very eloquence. at least for me, yeah, <laughs> eloquence. That's very wonderful. Um, yeah, I'm not that good with words. Um, <laughs> So one of the questions would be, uh, tell us anything, you know, any of your future activities, you, if there's anything you want to plug, you know, uh, projects that you're going to be working on, any future endeavors or things that you'd like to be doing. And maybe, you know, this is a good platform for you to reach out to all those people. And the other ones, mm. um, maybe other interviewers or people that you think might be really nice to bring into this area and, and the space and, and, you know, harness that that uh the the collective wisdom let's say of of our of our peers or people that we we consider important in this field of sustainability and resilience so bad bad interviewer two questions at the same time <laughs> it's, it's, i really first of all i really appreciate the platform and also the, <laughs> this opportunity to 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 really talking about like these issues because like we are all like doing like throughout this conversation i know that like we three we are active <laughs> like, like our own like uh like intellectual work and also our own like personal life right and so um for me i'm really so uh i'm really i feel passionate about the kind of work i'm doing right now right is to kind of facilitating the collaboration between um like academia and um, the ngos mm -hmm. so like this is kind of a role of project manager type of thing coordinator mm -hmm. um and at the same time i'm also conducting a research on ngo experience with uh echo technology so basically the interview this you probably may have heard in my uh, previous intervention is i'm interviewing a lot of the social enterprises and uh, NGOs regarding their experience of promoting uh, uh, eco technology and the, the technical challenges and practical challenges that they have, like mm -hmm. all this kind of thing. So I I I like this project, and I think uh, it's uh, it's important. We need a systematic, comprehensive review on the, on these challenges, yeah. um, and also like all these strategies, good practices, and the politics of eco technology. So. You know, like as a sociologist working in an engineering institution is kind of a unique experience of like transdisciplinary dialogue. And mm -hmm. at the same time, like working to have this kind of unique uh, opportunity Absolutely. to right, to work with um, people from other backgrounds and from different uh, theoretical focus, uh, like research interests, those kind of things. So it's, it's I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. And um, so in the future, um, <clears throat> I definitely would like to continue this journey uh, to reflect on environmental, to work on like issues related, re uh, related to environmental justice, sustainability, all these kind of issues, right? To, but from a perspective of a sociologist, right? So we talk, think about the social construct of all these concepts and the politics behind it. I think about the uh, inequality and exclusion um, in these um, environmental topics. And I mm -hmm. think that in the long term, this would be my uh, research interest. Uh, I do a lot of the uh, comparative work that I'm doing right now because uh, uh, like having experience 
of uh, doing research in like different context, I think it's really a unique experience. And mm -hmm. uh, I really appreciate like all the support that I received uh, in this journey. And uh, something like as a, an announcement or... <laughs> Ooh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exclusive. Uh, like is, uh, <laughs> we are trying to, uh, so at the Center for Global Engineering, we would like to organize a, a forum, a, an online forum uh, that invites uh, social enterprises and NGOs to, to share this, their experience. And we probably um, can like identify some collaborative research project. Mm -hmm. and we we design like surveys like standardized surveys and then we apply it into different like uh, mm -hmm. areas and different regions so i think that's that's going to be an exciting things and um so i'm i'm working on it <laughs> oh, perfect <laughs> all right so yeah keep us in yeah. the loop let us know yeah and if there's anything that we can share you know in the description or on our through our medias let us know and we'll you know yeah we'll, we'll, we'll make we'll sure that to get that that out there the word out there yeah, so fantastic. yeah thank you so much yeah, yeah. so it's it's uh it's, a, it's also about like resilience right like we are in this uh circumstance and um we encounter a lot of lim limitation regarding like the kind of research we can do but mm -hmm. um i appreciate like people still come together like uh, share their experiences and try to um like uh, like do as much as possible so that's that's amazing yeah wonderful yeah thank you yeah thank you so much and anyone you'd like to you think might be uh a good a good guest for this space or even someone you'd like to hear from and maybe we can reach out to them yeah it's actually um like i guess it would be a good idea to like uh interview um like a lot of these uh echo uh entrepreneur right the yeah absolutely the yeah yeah. leaders and um things like that it would be it would be fantastic and also um people who work in different a different cultural context i think that mm -hmm. might be very interesting because mm -hmm. uh, uh i think uh a lot of these people do a lot of like uh, reflection on <laughs> oh sorry our dogs are in every podcast, yeah. so, in every episode. Uh, sorry, I, was, I was just thinking we're not going to have any barking, but <laughs> this thing. So, yeah. So, okay. So, reaching out to, to some entrepreneurs um, yeah. and then different the people with different context. cultural contexts. And I think that'd be a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah definitely. Okay. And one last question for me. Can we have you back? <laughs> Can we invite you back? Yeah, yeah maybe it's some of the findings you have. or uh, I'm sure you're going to be writing a cute, uh, an awesome paper around it. So it'd be good to, to talk about your findings and some of the cool cool things that you, you the insights that you got from, from your yeah. qualitative study. Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, and I appreciate this invitation and um, definitely I would like to um to have this opportunity to share the findings and also like have like conversation like this kind of exchange of ideas with uh, both of you because you're great hosts and, uh, <laughs> and also hopefully one day like we uh like after all these like we to reunite together and, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah it'd be nice to see you again in person <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, it's been. A, I mean, it's been over a year. No? Yeah, it's been a year right now since we, yeah. since we met. So, anyway, so I think yeah. that's about for me. At yeah, least. yeah. Same. I mean, look, it's not it for me because I have more <laughs> questions than I started off with. But I think uh, we can end it here for now. And for sure. um, yeah, just pick this up some other time. I mean, and I, hopefully yeah. soon. And like I said, maybe next time we'll be face to face. That'd be great. So thank you so thank much, you. and so much. Uh, you know, good luck with everything. Send us whatever yeah. you want us to share, and yeah, that's yeah, it. we'll let you know when we we're posting it. Yeah, and I'm sending you a big hug. Oh, yeah, thank you so much, Take care then. Okay, yeah, take care. It's well. It was great seeing uh, you. Take care. Bye. Bye.